Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. I have missed you guys, and I have been in a season. Uh, if you're new around here, I hope to meet you, but I've been in a season where I transitioned into uh, a new ministry, working with World Vision uh, and their global uh, reach. And over the course of my first few weeks with them, which is what I've been doing, uh, I've been trying to like kind of pace myself and not overwhelm them with how much I talk about Hills Church and things that we got to be a part of and I've done. It's like that new parent where you're trying not to overwhelm people with how, how much you know you think and memories and stories, things like that. So the, they are, are getting a healthy paced dosage of my love for you guys. And this feels right and feels good. And I'm so grateful that we get to open up God's word together uh, like we do every week. And so I'll say this, I'll share a little bit more about what God has kind of positioned me and what I'm doing uh, a little bit later. But if it's okay with you, I just want to jump right in to where we're going. I, I think Genesis is such a, an important book and I'm so grateful that, that that's kind of been the series that you guys have been going through and I've been following along and catching up with it. And I'll say this, it's a foundational book to what it means to, to follow God, to, to be in relationship with the creator. It's foundational and yet it doesn't often, I'm not sure why, get its own series. Like it's, it's a little bit more rare. We'll hit John or Matthew a little more often than Genesis. Uh, and so I think this is paramount and important. Today, today we're gonna talk about a word that relates to all of our lives, whether you're nine years old or 90 years old. We're gonna talk about a word that encompasses a, a large a, a conversational aspect of our lives, a large thought and energy aspect of our life. It's something everyone here can relate to. We're going to talk about a word that we have a love-hate relationship with. We're going to talk about a word, a theme that is woven throughout every book of Scripture. And we're going to talk about a theme that I think many of us would love to have a different relationship with. And it's made possible in Genesis. We're talking about the idea of work a theology of work. And this is particularly uh, insightful for myself as some of my work, not all of it, but some of my work has, has transitioned over the last few uh, weeks. And it, but it spans more than occupation. It moves into recreation and obligations. Work is a significant part of our lives. Now, some of us have like some crystal clear clarity on our work, on our purpose. And others of you, you don't have as much clarity. In fact, you probably probably remind, remind yourself closer to like this moment in my life. I was 16 years old when I got my first job in a restaurant. Remember one day a friend of mine says to me, hey, Dave, Pizza Hut is hiring. And um, I had lofty goals and needed a little restaurant income. And so I remember getting in my 96 Nissan Sentra and driving down to the shopping center, walking into the two big glass doors and going up to the counter and said, hey, can I get an application? I hear you're hiring. They hand me an application and say, hey, if you can fill it out right now, so-and-so would love to come and just meet with you and talk to you. So I sit down at the table, I fill it out in about 15 minutes, and then uh, so-and-so comes over and starts talking to me and kind of like an interview on the spot. And you, you know, by the end of it, he goes, hey, can you, when can you start? So I, I can start next week. This sounds great. So I, I get in my car, I drive home. I'm, I'm feeling good, you know, not great. It's Pizza Hut, but you know, I get home and I... I go up to my mom and dad. I go, hey, like thinking they're going to be proud of me. Like, how? And they are. I say, hey, I just got a job at Pizza Hut. And they go, great job, Dave. That's every parent's dream. And we're sitting there and my mom goes, follow-up question. What Pizza Hut location are you, are you going to be at? 
And I go, oh, it's like right in the big shopping center by Albertson's grocery store. She just kind of stares at me and I'm like, what's going on? She goes, Dave, I don't think that's a Pizza Hut. And I'm like, I just got a job. She goes, I about guarantee you that's not Pizza Hut. And I, I, say, I, get, I do what I would do. I go get back in my car. I drive myself all the way back down there. I sit in the parking I look up and it's an Italian restaurant called Pasta Gondola. I had no idea where I just got a job at. And isn't that on some level, can maybe some of us can relate. In the work that we're engaged in, some of us are lacking some clarity. Like, what am I doing? Where am I doing it? Who am I doing it for? What's the motivation? Some of us are waking up on a Tuesday and you're not really sure what you're going in and what you're doing. Some of us are waking up and we're retired and we're not sure what, what, how we're supposed to use the energy that God has given us. I think these are relevant questions that all of us on some level struggle to have some clarity around. Genesis brings immense clarity on these questions. So we're gonna jump right in with Genesis chapter one, verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Okay, so we start here. God says, let's make man. So God has been on a roll. Creation has been unfolding. And all of a sudden he makes man and he makes it in, he says, our image. What's an image? An image simply images. Now I know that's cheating, like using the definition in the, or the word in the definition, but I think it's relevant. An image is, an image images. It's to display something, to look at. An image or like a statue is to be looked at. It's to reflect something. It's to provoke thought and conversation. What would it mean if you created, ready for this, seven billion statues of yourself and put them all over the world? It would mean that you want people to notice you, to think about you, to talk about you. And that is God. God has created us, you and I, in his image to display and to reflect who he is. God has created us to reflect who he is. Another verse out of Genesis, I'm gonna connect them for us in just a second here. says this in Genesis 2.15. By the way, we're gonna be between Genesis 1 and 2. It's not a big arm workout, all right, um, this, whole, this whole morning. It says this, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So we have been just created to be an image bearer, a reflection of who God is. And we have been placed as a statue, as, as people to, in, in this garden to work it. We have been created to be an image bearer that reflects. I, I thought this might be a good way to, to make sense of this. This might hurt, by the way. I apologize in advance. God says, I want you to be an image bearer. I want you to reflect me. This is what we're supposed to be a 45 degree angled mirror reflecting who God is, reflecting his work in creation. In fact, work is like the fifth word. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God got to work, friends. And now he has created you and I with this purpose of being an image bearer of a God who works. So the big idea this morning, the, way, the best way I could summarize all of what we're talking about in Genesis is this. Our purpose is reflecting God's work in our work. Like our purpose. And I think many of us, we're hungry for our purpose. We struggle with our purpose. 
Our purpose, I'm giving it to you right now. If you've, you can no longer say this is a struggle in your life. Our purpose is reflecting God's work in our work. Not in certain work, in our work. We're going to unpack that. See, Genesis 1 and 2 are interesting. They talk all about work. In fact, Genesis 1 is kind of that thousand foot view of the narration of some of the creation narrative, okay? And it talks so much about work. Genesis 2 does the same thing. And for those of you that like sequential orders of things, you don't like Genesis 1 and 2. You like everything to kind of be neat and tidy, but the biblical author, God has, has no need to be in the confines of, of logical order. So I'm going to pull some scriptures from Genesis 1 and 2. But the things that we're talking about are all repeated, oddly enough, at least twice in a cycle of what God's heartbeat and hope is for us in this idea of work. And it's the first two chapters of the Holy Scriptures. It's important for us to grasp these things. All right, we're gonna start with some good news. The good news is going back to Genesis 2, verse 15, is this. I'm gonna highlight three words for us. The Lord God took the man, and and ladies, you're not off the hook just because it says man, all right? So stay leaned in took the man and and put him in the garden of Eden. We're going to unpack that word to work it and to keep it. All right. It's succinct. We grasp that. Let's go to the next slide and we'll unpack these three words. This is the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of delight. Eden means delight. Like what a beautiful picture. That's where, that's where God placed humanity in the garden of delight to work it, which means worship. Isn't that interesting? The same Hebrew words interchangeably used throughout the Hebrew scriptures for worship and work. Isn't that fascinating? We've been placed in the garden of delight to worship and to watch over it. The, the, the biblical author, we see the word keep, but translated, it breaks down to, to watch over. This is the good news. This is the picture because you see, for so long, we've kind of had a distorted perception of what work is. And none of you are like on Monday morning, well, honey, I'm off to worship, right? Like we don't say that. We say we're off to work. And so there's some, there's some vernacular here that we have got to realign. If we got to get back to the beginning, to Genesis, God's created our work. It felt so good. It was this word for worship. And there's no way that you can worship something you don't love. And so it doesn't feel like work in a bad way. That's, that's really good news. The not so good news, if you caught last week, Pastor Chad did an amazing job, is this thing called the fall. Some of your brains are already going there. Okay, but, but we accidentally as humans make some mistakes in chapter three. We sin, Bible calls it, you know, we're doing things that are outside of God's hopes for our life. The fall, eat from the tree, the one tree we're not supposed to eat from. And the Bible says that it affects our work. It, 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 it will kind of curse our work. It doesn't redefine our work, but it affects our work. Let me put it this way. Sin, the fall, is this moment where we go from reflecting God's image and Satan convinces us that our image is more beautiful. Sin is this moment where I become more interested in myself and reflecting Dave than I do in reflecting who God is. And all of us struggle with this thing called sin. And it's in that moment where our, our, our worship ceases, our work ceases to feel like worship and it starts to feel like the type of work we often hear people talking about in culture. And that's because of sin entering the picture. All right, we, 
to dive deeper into this, we have to spend a moment talking about our point of view. I think all of us come into any life circumstances with a, a certain point of view. A point of view is the narrator's position in relation to the story being told. The narrator's experience, uh, position in, in relation to the story being told. And all of us have a per- perception, a point of view when I talk about work. And then and it's all different, which I appreciate and love that we all bring to the table of Genesis this morning. Uh, there was a, a commercial that I watched recently that was done uh, around 1986, I believe, uh, put out by The Guardian. And it was, you know, culture was having a hard time with disagreeing perspectives on things. Glad we're beyond that. And, and so The Guardian put out this incredible 30-second commercial that kind of took the world by storm. Let's, let's watch that for a second. An event seen from one point of view gives one impression. Seen from another point of view, it gives quite a different impression. But it's only when you get the whole picture you can fully understand what's going on. It's only when you get the full picture that you can fully realize what is going on. And my fear is that so many of us, David Navarre included, we come into this text in Genesis, this Edenology on work, and we all come into it with our own perspectives, our own lens points. Some of us have some, some lens points and perspectives on what it means to work that were embedded in us from our parents from a young age. Get a paper route. Get out there. Get going. Provide. We got rent to pay. Some of us, it was just like, climb that ladder. Get education. Keep going. Keep going. Like, you got to get that bigger house, bigger thing. Some of us come from uh, parents who maybe just had this real simplistic, like clock in, clock out, don't, don't care, don't bring your best, just get by. Some of us have been in some maybe work environments, some past experience that's, that's kind of colored your point of view because you've had some hard things happen to you. And now your goal is just like surviving, get to retirement. And that became your point of view. Some of us are here today, you're like, I am retired and my point of view is golf. We all come to this text with maybe some broken dreams or some some preconceived notions that I'm too young or I'm too old. I feel trapped or, gosh, Dave, I'm really still hung up on chapter three and the way that the curse has affected, how sin has affected work. And I don't think I can just be happy in where God has me. And we let these lies creep in. This morning, before we dive any deeper in Genesis, we have to trade our point of views for God's point of views. And some of you just have to acknowledge right now, all of us have an aspect of our point of view that we need to trade in. And God's point of view includes the whole story. That's what this series in Genesis is all about. It's getting back to the whole story. And that's this, that God created the heavens and the earth. And then he created you and I, and he's a creator that wants to have a relationship with us. That God was so loving that he set freedom in motion. And he gave you and I choices that could be made. And we know how the story goes. We own it every day. We live in Israel. We mess up and we abuse some of that freedom. Bible calls it sin. And that sin has created a separation between us and the Father, us and God. But that's not all of God's story, is it? And every week, churches around the world return to the gospel good news that God, since the beginning of Genesis, we see hints that God was always at work in a redemptive story for you and I. And it's in that redemptive story of salvation that God says, even though you've chosen other things, even though you like your own reflection more, Dave, 
I'm sending my son Jesus for you. I love you. And I want a relationship with you still. And in those moments, when we invite Christ into our lives, it's in that moment where I go from looking at my reflection to wiping away the mire in my life and I become an image bearer once again of who God is to the rest of the world. Except this time something different happens now. God says, I don't want you just to, re- just to reflect what you, what you read about in the very beginning of Genesis. Now I want you to reflect my grace and my goodness amidst your mess. Be an image bearer of a God that loves and forgives and looks past. That is some incredible good news. And that is the point of view that we have to trade for whatever narratives that you've been telling yourself about the the work, the obligations, the occupations, the recreations, the things that God has put on your lap, whatever kind of lies has been holding you back in those, God says, now here's the deal. I'm inviting you to something better. And it's in light of that, that we open up Colossians 3.23. I love this verse. This verse needs to become some of your year, year verses. He says this, whatever you do, Let's just stop. Whatever you do, whether you're a data analyst, whether you are a business owner, whether you are in a service industry, an art industry, whether you're a student, whether you are a community member, a neighbor, a father, a grandfather, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Some of us have just been mailing it in. And God is saying, whatever you do, Christ followers, we are to do it like unto the Lord. And we are to be the best data analysts this world has ever seen. And the point of views begin to shift. And he goes, wherever I have you, you're going to be a reflection of my light. Because I don't want you just to go and work at a church or just go work for world vision. No, no, like I want you to, to be where God has positioned you to be to be a beacon of gospel truth. This is God's plan. Seven billion statues spread out around the world. I, uh, I, was, reflecting on, I was reflecting on my story just this last couple of weeks and God moving me to a new ministry with, with World Vision. And, uh, you know, it's, it comes from a place of just deep gratitude for the communities that I've experienced, the communities that I've been embedded in from birth to now. God has been so good to me. And I've grown up in places where I feel safe and loved and known and have access to education and like the simplest things. And I'm so like grateful for that. And like many of us, there's another side of my heart that just breaks knowing that that's, that's not everybody's story around the world. And this church has been a part of global and local ways to, to help like intervene on behalf. And my heart has often wondered like, gosh, what could I continue to do to be a part of that? And I found myself having a conversation with a friend named Jay. And uh, Jay is on the the National Leadership Council for World Vision. And we're talking and I'm saying, hey, I'm loving the work that you guys are doing around the world. My heart heart does break. I feel so fortunate, the things I have, the type of church that I I get to experience, all these different things. And, And I go, is there any way I could help? And in in conversations, and the conversation evolves, he goes, Dave, um, you would be a fantastic um, bridge liaison connector between our visionary groups, our national leadership committee, and the, the boots on the ground, the work of world vision around the world. 
he begins to explain to me that their visionaries and national leadership committee are philanthropists like himself who want to give above and beyond and accelerate uh, the kingdom impact that they're investing in around the world. And he goes to do that, like at that significant level, it, it requires quite a lot of bridge work because world visions in a hundred countries and to have a level of transparency and to know the needs and to know the mega, where's God need resources and what's, what's working, what's not working, where do I have to adjust? We need a bridge person to help connect this work to make it happen. So after a lot of prayer, thought, conversations that things obviously emerged and I'm grateful to be able to partner with them and what they're doing. But you can imagine one of the things I'm going through right now is trying to unpack the work that they're doing in 100 countries. I'm trying to understand what it means for them to spend 15 to 20 years doing community development projects, to bring clean water as a doorway of bringing, building trust that then can follow with the gospel. I'm unpacking how it is that they rescue girls from forced marriages and the ways that they bring education and the ways that they, you know, support uh, micro businesses and launches of things. I'm I'm unpacking it all. And this last month, my first two days, I got to meet with team of 10 in Southern California. And they begin just diving into the work of World Vision. And at coffee break, four hours later, they go, so Dave, do you have any questions? Thank you. That was my reaction. I said, I have about 1,000 questions. I literally, in my journal, have an, uh, my first page of my notebook is 20 acronyms you guys have used in four hours. I have no idea what you're talking about. And I said, but instead of asking you like my thousand questions, I'm just enjoying watching and hearing the talk of the work that God is doing and the way that God is moving in this ministry. And I said, I'm also, I'm going to suspend my thousand questions because you've pointed me towards this incredible, robust onboarding experience that I'll be walking through as someone new to this team. And someone else chimes up, they go, Dave, (laughs) that was such a good and needed onboarding experience. I went through it twice. Genesis is an onboarding in the kingdom of God for you and I on what it means to work a part of being a reflection of who he is. And many of us have just jumped onto God's team, praising hallelujah, we've given our lives to the Lord, but we miss some of the onboarding of what God values and his hopes for what it would be like for you to live out your purposes in this kingdom. And so right now we're returning to God's onboarding as a way for us to orient ourselves to the ways that God wants to bless you and I and the ways that he wants to use you where he has you. So are we ready for God's onboarding principles right here? We're gonna hit five key principles to end our time together that are critically important for you and I to thrive in our work. So imagine if you will, like you just walked into God's startup business office, you're in the lobby and cutely painted on their wall are five values, five organizational values of the movement of God Value number one, I imagine, would read like this. We take responsibility seriously. In Genesis 1, 26, right? God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the the livestock. Uh, Let me just break this down for you. God right here is giving the keys of the kingdom to us. He's giving responsibility, dominion. He's like, Adam, you're the first zoologist. You're also going to be bivocational because we need an arch, arch, a landscape architect amongst us. Help create. 
and evolve what's gonna happen. God's giving us responsibility. He trusts us. This isn't like a VRBO type situation. So the question that you gotta ask yourself is where has God placed you to take up some responsibility? Like God has placed each of us right where we are all in multiple places. And there are some responsibilities that he has placed in your lap. You don't have to go looking for them. They already exist, friends. Just identify what those are. Value number two, we find strength in numbers. Did you catch in Genesis 1, 26, some of the, the language here? It says, and then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. God uses relational language. We see evidence that our God is a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is a relational God. And then we see that relationship get even more specific, i.e. between God and Adam and Adam and Eve. And and all of a sudden you just see in the first two chapters, God values relationships. And then something fascinating happens in Genesis 2.18. So the Lord God said, it's not good. And this is the first time, just, just to catch you, I mean, chapter one is filled with, it was good. It was good. God created, it was good. It's the first time where all of a sudden they go, hold up. You know what's not good? It's not good that man should be alone. I'm gonna make a helper fit for him. Friends, no, no lone wolf Christianity. I think we tend to operate that way. I'll do it on my own. I can figure this out. And I'll just speak for a moment to my friends online. I think online church is amazing. I love how the the Capital C Church has evolved the online experience over the last several years. I think it's helpful for vacations and traveling when you're sick or just gone through a, a surgery of some sort. It's an incredible way to stay engaged in the family of God. But I'll be honest with you, it's not a substitute for the gathering together with other believers. Amen? God has designed us to have strength in numbers. Don't ever give up connecting people. I love that Jonathan was talking about a rooted group kicking off next week. And there's a booth right outside these doors. I mean, you, you kind of have to ignore it. If you, if you know you need community, you're going to have to go out that exit and walk the long way to your car today. God's knocking on some of your doors to jump into community because there's strength in numbers. And it's going to bless the way that you work when you do this. Okay, God continues. He's going to give us a third value. And that's this, value number three. You want to you have work that reflects Christ's work. We aim to be fruitful. And in Genesis 1, 28, God said to them, hey, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, if you're here and you're married, you don't have kids yet. One of you wants kids and the other one doesn't. This might be a good verse to put on the refrigerator. Kind of hint some of your desires. Okay, I'm kidding. Um, I think the optimal word is kind of also subdue. I think it's good. I think it does mean that, like fill the earth, but Jesus didn't have any kids. So we have to be careful with this. But, but there's, this, there's this, clear, this clarity that goes, look, the, the kind of work that you're, you're gonna be a part of isn't sit on the recliner, the sidelines kind of work. God's like, I want you guys to be fruitful. Wherever, I, and it doesn't mean fruitful like you gotta build churches or orphanages. It's like, no, no you gotta like be fruitful. Like, Go to your place of work or, or go to your committee or your club or your social circles, so, so, social circles and contribute. Be fruitful. Don't be lazy. Don't just look for others to be fruitful towards us. I'm like, oh gosh, okay. What an invitation. Be fruitful. So the question 
The question that we have to ask ourselves is this. What's the fruit of our weeks? What's the fruit of your weeks? It looks different for all of us. I hope it doesn't look the same. What's the fruit that God's calling you to bear? It doesn't have to sound holy, friends. God's calling us to be fruitful. There's this obscure passage uh, in Genesis. And all of a sudden, it's like God goes from creating, it's beautiful, it's poetic. And then all of a sudden, he's like, and by the way, there's a river over here named this. There's a river positioned here that feeds into this named this. You'll find this element and this type of rock and this type of gold over here. And then, oh yeah, here's the fourth river. And then like, it just continues on kind of this back to this beautiful poetic creation narrative. And you kind of got to look at that passage in Genesis and go, why did he just do that? I think he did that to say, look, I've just, I've, I've created humanity and I'm giving you these elements in the world. I'm giving you streams and land and elements. Control the rivers, create power, use the elements, create civilizations, communities, build a business, find a way to give back, find a way to contribute. Be fruitful is what he's saying. He didn't just give a plot of land and say, build a temple right here. He goes, here's some elements, some raw elements. And all of us have raw elements at our disposal that we are called to bear fruit with. All right, fourth one. We recognize provision. In Genesis 1, he goes, and God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given. Our God is such a giving God. And I think I feel convicted at times at how often I may default mentally to a scarcity mindset when God has an abundance mindset for us. So many of us forget that God has got us. So many of us live in perpetual fear and we look at others around us and we go, I just want what they have. I want that house, I want that job, I want, I want that vacation, I want those, those resources. And the Bible calls that coveting. And it's when you and I trip into some of that, that we all of a sudden pick the mirror back up and we begin to look at ourselves again. And we're less concerned about how can I reflect creator of the universe? And we're more concerned about how can, how can I work on my image? How can I work on me? And God is saying in Genesis, Adam, Eve, Hills Church, Dave Navard, God said, behold, don't miss it. Hold it. Behold, I've given you. I think a question that can help us. Because if we miss this, if we, if we miss the, the recognizing of provision, guess what? It will distort your perception on your work. It just does. And it will change the way you go to any type of work that God's called you to. So the question is, how has God provided for you? And it's moments of reflection. It's moments of just pausing and celebrating God's provision that it begins to unlock the moments and the trust for the ways he's gonna provide for you right now, right here. The ways he's gonna provide for us in the future. Why? Because we can celebrate the ways that God's provided for us through thick and thin, in the past. Last one. Last value. We appreciate limits. I don't know if we were expecting that one. Genesis 2, 3, God blessed the seventh day, made it holy because on it, God 
rested. He called a time out. And later it becomes a command to Sabbath and to rest. But we see other evidence of limitations where God puts a tree in the garden. He goes, hey, have full reign of everything. You guys covered this last week, but that one tree keeps some distance. I wanna say this, limits are so good and healthy for us. Just because something can be done in our life doesn't mean it should be done. Some of us have a bit of a broken relationship with limits. And it's something we gotta work to and tend to and fix. And we've gotta invite some limits back into our life. And it's hard because we love freedom. But in reality, we become enslaved to the things that we think we wanted. And so right here, we see this invitation to limitations. If we're gonna work unto God, it's, we're not just gonna work ourselves into our identity. We're not just gonna be so proud like this busyness is my identity. He goes, no, no, your identity is the one you're reflecting, not on the way or how effectively you reflect that. And so the question you have to ask yourself for value number five is this, what limits do you sense that God has called you to? What limits? Maybe just one that you've been running from that God is calling you back to. God is so good. Big idea, our purpose is reflecting God's work in our work. Whatever it is God has you, whatever he has you doing, CEO of three rugrats running around the house or CEO of an actual company, whatever it is, how can you be a reflection of God in wherever he has us? This is for everyone. And I, I think it's beautiful, these, these five values. I wanna give you these five questions right here. And maybe, maybe you wanna take a picture of this. I think this for those of you that are like, yeah, I want to dive deeper, let's take a picture of that. I would say that that is a helpful place to start. Responding, uh, brainstorming through these five questions and asking the Lord God, how can I live a life where my work is unto you? That I'm an image bearer once again. How can I wake up on Monday and find more joy in the thing that I'm walking? I may be walking into some challenges, but Lord, I'm walking into them to be a healthy, sustainable reflection of who you are. God, I wanna sign up for that every day. And I'm gonna do it as Colossians 3 invites me with all of my might. I like God's vision, his plan for us that he wouldn't relegate us to being a reflection of creator of the universe to one hour a week, but instead that he would put us as billions of statues spread out all throughout the world. God doesn't want you just shifting jobs. He wants you to own the place that God has you, to be that reflection. I'll end here my, um, reflecting back to my first day this last month with World Vision. And you never know what you're in for on a first day, right? And I fly down Southern California and I'm meeting with this group and I'm like, I'm ready for the fire hose to be turned on. And we're sitting around this table and I, I just was caught off guard by this moment where they, they start off the meeting and they go, Dave, in preparation for this moment, we've all prayerfully um, found a scripture we want to read over you as you begin your ministry here with us. And I was, I was touched by it. And um, I think it's a powerful moment for us as we orient whatever it is we're doing unto the Lord. And so I wanna end our time by passing that blessing onto you all and invite you just to close your eyes where you're at. I think some of us, maybe we've got this dialed in, but others of us, maybe you want a bit of a reset. 
Maybe, maybe you're looking to realign your work that it would become this beautiful reflection of who God is. And I just want to end our time by reading a few of these scriptures that were read over me, over you. So receive this. A guy named Gary read Ephesians 2.10. It says, for you, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. A guy named Andy read this. Now we read it for you, Romans 12, two. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Another verse, 2 Peter 1, 3. I read it over you. His divine power, some of you need this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us. You've been called where you're at by his own glory and goodness. And lastly, Galatians 6, 9. For anyone tired, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap a harvest. So Lord, right now in the stillness of this room and those online, we say thank you for the invitation and the honor that it is to be image bearers of you. It's an honor. And God, right now, I pray a blessing over us as we prepare to take communion and to celebrate, Lord, the way that the mirror was turned back around and we were reinvited into this relationship to become this beautiful reflection of you through the body and blood of Jesus. And so if, if you received communion elements on your way in, we're gonna take a moment and just the stillness to give thanks to God to contemplate what it means to be a reflection of these elements. Take a moment. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.